Let's take our Bibles and open God's holy word this afternoon to Psalm 130. And we read this psalm in connection with the Lord's Day that is before us this afternoon that speaks or answers the question, how can we escape God's wrath and be restored into favor? This is one of the 15 songs of ascent. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So far. And let's then turn to the Lord's Day where we confess our faith, the salvation of our God through Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 5 takes us to the second part of the Catechism. We know that there's the three parts sin and misery, deliverance, and gratitude. And here we start the section, Our Deliverance. Since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another and just for clarification, that words satisfied means payment. Can we by ourselves make this payment? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can any mere creature pay for us? No. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. So far. And after the sermon, we will continue singing Psalm 130, the stanzas 3 and 4.
Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the church of our Lord Jesus, we speak our own language. We have words like satisfaction, justification, sanctification, regeneration, trinity, sacraments, words that are only understood from a biblical point of view. And we also have our own library with books that are old but far from outdated. One of those books is over approximately 500 years old. But we read from it almost every Lord's Day. Some people call it the Heidelberg Catechism, whereas others refer to it as the church's book of comfort. This book tells us what we need to know to live and die in the joy of our only comfort, and as such helps us comprehend the true art of Christian living. This book is not long contains three chapters. The first chapter is the least pleasant to read. It establishes who we are in ourselves and how much we need comfort. Now, the first chapter of sin and misery is rather short, but also very clear. The Lord is absolutely righteous in punishing sin with the most extreme punishment of body and soul. This chapter does not direct us to how bad things are in the world around us, but it gets very personal, confronting you and me with our own sin and iniquity. So I can't finish the first chapter of this book and say, ooh, this is really exciting stuff. I'm a pretty good person. I have what it takes to make this world a better place. Everyone, listen to me. No, I'm made aware of the depth of my iniquity and transgression so that I might come to see the need for my Savior, for the Lord Jesus. And any time I try to diminish my own sinfulness, I am deceiving myself and I am depriving myself of comfort and ultimately I do not give God the glory and honor He deserves. And yet, the Lord does not reveal to me my sins and misery so that I should be riddled with guilt and feeling very low about myself. Knowing how great my sins and misery are, I long for the rich and joyous preaching of redemption and salvation in Jesus Christ. Having finished the first chapter, we long to hear the contents of the second chapter in the church's book of comfort. And the, chapter, the second chapter is indeed an exhilarating and thrilling read. Because we get to read about 
confess and examine in detail who Christ is, the head of the church for his people, for you and me. Now, before this book turns our attention to the Redeemer, we are first taught what deliverance and salvation really are. We pay attention to the language. And that, too, is necessary so that we may be kept from covering our misery with a, a thin little coat of superficial grace so, so that what goes on in this little heart of mine is considered bad, but not really bad. This first page in the chapter of deliverance lays it on the line to make us aware deliverance came at a high price. Salvation is not some cheap commodity that you can just pick up at a Reformed church at a bargain price. In the first paragraphs of this new chapter in the church's book of comfort, we are shown how deliverance is inseparably connected to the justice of God. To be delivered from our sin and misery, the justice of God must be satisfied, must be paid. And what we are taught in Scripture and what we confess in this Lord's Day can be summarized as follows. Salvation is not a cheap commodity, but came at a high price. And we'll look at two things, what must be paid and who must pay it. Now, what we confess this afternoon is not something every person in the world would repeat with us. We acknowledge here that we are completely guilty and deserve punishment. And that the Lord is entirely righteous and just. The Lord could do away with us altogether if he so desired. But at the same time, we are humbly asking for a way out so that the relationship between God and us is not destroyed, but restored. When you and I truly know our sin and misery, we are humbled. Indeed, every believer is to get on his or her knees before the living God, the congregation of the Lord, us, humbly bend down before him and ask for a way to be restored into his favor. Well, what would be the most compassionate and pastoral answer? Should the kneeling believer not be raised up immediately and without hesitation shown the only way to escape punishment and be restored to God's favor is through Jesus. It's pretty simple. Shouldn't a penitent sinner be told immediately, rise, your sins are forgiven you. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from sin, therefore go home in peace. Well, that's what we'd expect. Well, should we then, here as church, allow two young whippersnappers called Casper Olivianus and Zacharias or Sinus, authors of the Catechism, at age 26 and 28, 
give us what we have in front of us this afternoon. They don't mention the name of Christ. Instead, they turn our attention back to the justice of God and the payment he demands. They introduce to us the doctrine of atonement through satisfaction, through payment. And it sounds so calloused. God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another. Why is the name of Christ not mentioned? It all seems so systematic and tightly constructed. So will not such answers not have the result that the already humbled believer will begin to despair of God's mercy? How can this be uplifting? Why couldn't the authors of the catechism give us a more compassionate answer? Where is the warmth? Where is the passion of a living relationship with the Lord? Lots of questions. And we cannot ask the authors for an answer. Because they're dead. You can't ask them. But you don't need to either. Because the questions I just posed don't hold any water. The doctrine taught in this Lord's Day is pivotal and essential and most importantly, scriptural. The doctrine of substitutionary atonement, that is that someone needs to take our place to get us back in the relationship with the Lord, that underscores how our deliverance through Christ is a most precious and valuable gift. And if we find it harsh and unappealing to confess God's justice must be satisfied and paid in full, then we need to take a few steps back and ask ourselves, do I think enough about the depth of my own sin? And do I ponder the greatness of the Lord's deliverance in Christ? For God's justice must be satisfied or paid in full. That's not a statement which knocks a believer over the head with a sledgehammer. But it's a powerful and biblical confession whereby we are kept from slipping into the quicksand of glossing lightly over our sins and over God's deeds of salvation. What we confess about deliverance must be anchored by the solid basis of what the Bible itself teaches. You see, it's easy to say, I'm saved. It's easy to to put the name of Jesus on your lips. But is it a Jesus that we have created in our own image? Who does what we want him to do for us And who takes the brunt of our anger if he doesn't. Brothers and sisters, what did it cost Jesus to obtain salvation for you and me? 
If we do not understand God's righteousness and his justice, we will never understand the depths of his love and greatness and mercy. The Lord redeems his church in great love and tremendous compassion. Yet right from the beginning, we must understand that Zion, that is the church, will be delivered through righteousness because salvation is not cheap. Salvation is only salvation when it satisfies the justice of the Lord. That's key to our salvation. Deliverance and the justice of God go hand in hand. For deliverance is to have your sins paid in full with no outstanding debts. God will have his justice satisfied. The Lord must be paid in full. Because if he demanded anything less, he would destroy his own character. Would we expect otherwise of our God than that he would maintain his just, fair requirements and be consistent and fair in his dealings with us? He cannot weaken his position or change his mind to make allowance for sin because his own holiness is at stake. And therefore it is also important that we understand the term satisfaction and what kind of payment God requires. Satisfaction or payment has to do with clearing away debt or guilt. And it also has to do with good and proper relationships. If someone has a huge debt, having borrowed a large sum of money, and never pays up what he or she owes, but instead allows themselves to go deeper and deeper into debt, this will undoubtedly create tension and cause the relationship to deteriorate. Well, if that is already the case with people, how much more will that be in the most important relationship that there could ever be between the Lord God and his covenant people? Now, I really don't need to tell you this, but we live in a society which makes great allowance for debt. So that being debt-free is almost exceptional. And that way of thinking may dull our senses to the seriousness of our own sins and the spiritual debt before the Lord. There are sins in our lives that don't rank very high on our list of matters that concern us. And many times we may try to justify our sinful behavior as if that doesn't need to be paid for. We have good reason to do what we did. We do not see the need for asking that the debt be taken away. How many times have you not wronged someone and never asked for their forgiveness and more importantly for God's forgiveness? Far too often we are blind to our own shortcomings. But remember this before you say anything. 
there isn't a single debt that is or can be tolerated by our God. And that must be remembered not only by adults, but by our teenagers and by our young children too. All our sins must be paid in full. And if they are not, our relationship with the Lord cannot be restored. God's justice, the very things that he asked us to do, must be satisfied because the Lord in faithfulness to his own person does not and cannot wink at sin. Whoever sins against a single commandment sins against the whole law of God. The one who fails just once to continue in all things which are written in God's precepts is cursed. We read in Galatians 3 verse 10 and as quoted in Lord's Day 4 that was looked at last week. And we should not think that the Lord just sets aside our sins and forgets about them. And it is for this reason that you and I, brothers and sisters, cannot be at ease in our sins if we truly love the Lord. It is impossible for one in whom the Spirit of Christ lives to have just a matter-of-fact attitude toward God's holiness. The Lord wants us to get on our knees in confession that we have violated the relationship with the Lord through our own fault and to our own shame. The Lord demands payment because he is the one who first provided us with all we need to serve him. We owe the Lord of his own riches and wealth. In the covenant that he established, he came with a fair and just demand. There is no way that we can charge the Lord of being unreasonable in what he requires. He said, give me your heart and your life in humble and perfect obedience. And I have every right to ask this of you because I made you capable of doing what I require of you. And at the same time, I give you the promise that if you are faithful and loyal, then the relationship will always be pure, harmonious, peaceful, and will be a blessing to you. Yet if you don't give me what you owe, then I will judge you. And therefore, now that sin has marred the relationship, the debt must be removed. And the penalty for sin must be paid in order that things can once again be right and as they should be, in order that we might escape the heavy burden of God's wrath against sin. Catechism asks, can we escape this punishment? Can we save ourselves? And we know the answer, don't we? 
The only way of escape is when payment for sin is made completely and fully. Indeed, salvation is not cheap. We receive it freely and by the grace of the Lord. We do not and we cannot pay anything for our salvation. And the gift of grace which he gives to us freely must be handled with care. We may not speak about it lightly as if it costs nothing. Our salvation is a most precious gift for which the full price was paid. And therefore it is upsetting how easily and how casually people can speak about salvation in their conversations, in books, and in much of contemporary Christian novels and you name it, as if it is nothing and if, if, as if God just distributes it to everybody without caring. Are we fully convinced of the need for atonement through payment? Is that even a question for us? Or do we think that in Jesus Christ, God is merely saying, well, let's just forget about the past. All the things that happened. Bury it. I love you. Let's be friends. If we look at reconciliation and atonement as a matter of, of change and not payment, we will view Christ as a good example, but not as the one who needed to pay for our sins through the price of his precious blood. Jesus came to fulfill the demands of God's justice. And let us not diminish what Christ had to accomplish for us. He came into the world because God demanded that his justice be satisfied through full payment. And when Christ came into the world to fulfill that demand of the Lord, it wasn't as if there is this Old Testament God who is all angry and Jesus says, okay, I'll do what I can to help. No, he is part of that same trinity in the relationship with the Father. And so, that is also what he desires. That we be restored and can have joy and peace. Through the satisfaction of God's justice, we are lifted out of what would otherwise be a depressing and hopeless existence. Well, let's move on to the second point of the sermon. For not only do we need to know what is owing, but who must pay it. You'd think the answer to the question, who must pay for my sins and thereby satisfy God's justice would be rather straightforward. Again, we all know that Jesus has fully paid for all my sins. And yet we are very good at messing up this doctrine because we have the notion things aren't as bad as they are made out to be. And somehow we have the capacity within ourselves to do something to gain the Lord's favor. How many of us tend to be motivated by the 
affirmation of others. We want others to commend us for the good job we are doing. And that gets us going. And listen to us talk about a person who has passed away. It makes you wonder sometimes if a person really needed Christ in life and death. We talk as if we are assured the deceased is in heaven because of the good they did in life. But let's do a little navel-gazing, if you will, and reflect on the sins we have committed. Shouldn't that be enough to convince you and me that we cannot escape God's punishment or be restored to God's favor or enter into heaven by our own efforts? Oh yes, that's a hard pill to swallow. But it must be swallowed for our spiritual health. Otherwise, we will never truly know our need for the great physician. Our sinfulness prevents us from paying for or reducing the debt that needs to be covered for us in order to escape hell and enjoy the bliss of communion with the Lord. In fact, the best we can do is worsen the situation. Daily we increase our debt. We cannot reconcile ourselves with the Lord no matter how we, hard we try. So in whatever way you take it, from whatever angle you view it, we cannot make payment for our sins. It's mission impossible. When the Lord draws up the balance sheet, it is clear that there is no other avenue and no other creature that can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. If humanity who was set over the animals, the creatures of the earth, cannot save themselves. How could a dumb animal ever achieve this? And as for the angels, was it not in the realm of the angels that sin first manifested itself? Angels are ministering spirits. They may want to help but they are incapable of achieving our salvation. And it would be unjust if the Lord would punish angels and animals for the sin of humanity. The Lord says to you and me, payment must come from you. Don't seek a way of escape in other creatures. You are guilty. And that requirement shouldn't make us defiant or rebellious, but should bring us to our knees in open confession. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? Who can stand under the full scope of God's justice and righteousness? If God would hold transgressions against us, then you and I would be wiped from the face of the earth. And this church, you as congregation, would be a thing of the past. 
no matter how conservative, how righteous we might think we are. Salvation is not cheap. The Lord himself must provide us with a mediator and deliverer. Yes, deliverance is from the Lord alone. Is that not the repeated message that you see also in the Psalms? He sends us salvation. He provides us with a substitute. One who is a true man and perfectly righteous and yet more powerful than all creatures that is one who is also God. And only such a mediator and deliverer coming from God himself will satisfy God's justice by paying the penalty of sin and keep us from falling into debt again. A mediator is someone who stands between two parties to reconcile them to each other. Well, the mediator spoken of here in this Lord's Day stands between God and guilty sinners. He reconciles God with his people by paying the price and by removing the curse from his people forever. Yes, the mediator of the covenant. He delivers us from the curse and the dominion and the penalty of sin by taking that all on himself. He delivers us from the power of Satan. He frees those for whom he mediates by putting himself in their place. Isn't that amazing? The spotless Lamb of God became the guilty debtor in our place. As Isaiah speaks of this work of our mediator as our substitute when he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Beloved, though our sins are before us every day, we can now live in hope. As we will sing in a moment, hope in the Lord, O nation, with him is steadfast love. His plenteous salvation he'll send you from above. Brothers and sisters, hold firm the doctrine taught in the beginning of chapter 2 of the church's book of comfort. For through what we are taught, we are shown so clearly how precious Jesus is for us. Jesus is the only one who can save. And he will. He will redeem his people, his chosen Israel, from all their sin and evil that they, his praise, may tell. Amen.